Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, you'll probably be about as good as I was. That's kind of the way it works, you know, and I, I, I was below average. You'll excel at a lot of things, just not this. I don't want you out here shooting this ball around all day and night, all right? All right. Okay. Hey. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and today we're talking to Joel Pierce, aka JP. Joel is a healthcare professional, musical artist, voice artist, Instagram photographer, and more recently, comedian, um, who was introduced to me through my cousin Rodders, what was it, about a couple of years ago? Yeah, I guess now. And I immediately identified Joel as one of the good guys uh, just by looking at him. I could tell just because he was bearded. And set, set that bar high. I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, all I knew about Joel at the time was that he was a rapper. So um, I sought out his uh, <sighs> albums and I ended up on a project on a long daily commute. And I listened to those goddamn albums, I reckon, a couple of hundred times each, maybe. Like I just listened to them ad nauseum. And it was interesting because so you're the one. Yeah, I'm the one. Yeah. I'm the guy. The guy who had it on repeat. No, actually, I had it downloaded. So yeah, yeah, you didn't make a dime off it. So Excellent. Bad luck. Sorry no, I that. actually prefer that. I want to be known as like the bootleg king. So yeah, like yeah. Whenever I see sell someone a copy, I tell them to like burn five copies for their friends. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you can't stop piracy, so you might as well embrace it, right? Yeah. But uh, I think Rodders gave me bootleg copies so you can blame him he's he's the pusher fucking classic dj yeah Yeah. exactly and i just love those albums uh that they're the sorts of things you can just keep listening to them because the lyrics uh they have a lot of depth and complexity you can sort of get something new out of it every time you listen i just didn't get bored with it i must admit i did eventually i mean after like 200 plays eventually knew it word for word yeah uh that journey of discovery ended and i think i moved on to uh some Dr. Dre stuff or something, but you're in the same, you know, you're at the same level. Well, I don't know, okay. Well, I'll, I will take that compliment, but I have to disagree. <laughs> um, Cause you're more original and, and innovative. Yeah, definitely. I definitely that old hack Dr. Have, Dre have innovated far more than uh, Andre Young. Mm. Um, no, but those are very kind things to say, Harvey. I'm no, glad it's, you, well, it's, you, it's exactly how I felt about it. The other side of it was that you, uh, essentially the reason why this podcast exists, and you may not realize this, but when you were in Pakenham visiting us at some point, you said you'd been watching some of the popcorn lobotomy stuff, which yeah. I didn't even know that you, I don't even remember how you knew about it, but you said that you watched the Jennifer's Body review mm-hmm. and you really liked the little rant about story. Yeah. Now that rant is kind of the seed of this podcast, yeah. right? And the fact that you told me that you and I think your wife as well had felt that it resonated with you or whatever. Yeah, I, I watched it twice in a row and then yeah. called her over and was like, you need to fucking watch this. I'm like, 
You need to watch the whole thing though. You can't just watch the bit that's of what right. you see. Yeah, that's you right. have to watch the whole thing because she felt like super uncomfortable about the rest of it, which yeah. was great. Yeah. Which made me laugh. Yeah. Well, that was the purpose of that channel. Exactly. Much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, yeah, I, I remember it clearly. Like it was mm. just uh, really, it really, really resonated. And mm. that, um, which was what got me thinking about it because you saying that it resonated with you was like, I wonder, because it had resonated with me, obviously, enough yeah. to write it. So um, I thought, I wonder how many other people that would sort of interest. Yeah. So that got me thinking about that idea and then thinking, what else could that idea be? And this is what it became. I think the people that that would resonate with, it will interest interesting people. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I mean, boring thoughtful people. people. Yeah. Yeah. Boring people don't have, uh, they suck at telling stories. Mm. Um, I'm sure everyone's been, you know, you've been in a situation where you're at a, a dinner party or just you know a social situation mm. and you have that person that just has no fucking idea how to tell a story yeah. they're just like they're tangent like they're tangential but they never come back to what they're saying and the things they're talking about are really boring it's just like oh my daughter won and no one gives a shit yeah man. like yeah. could you spice it up a little did bit did the school explode because yeah. like, if the <laughs> school true. didn't explode i'm not fucking interested in the what... next sentence is she getting an axe in the head because yeah. if she's not yeah you've wasted my time you've you've, you've lost me yeah you lost What's... me when you opened your boring fucking mouth <laughs> exactly i thought you were going to yawn but no that's how you speak yeah but it's it's one of those things right the sort of the stories that we're attracted to and whatever yeah they're sensational but mm. in a way you've got to be able to find a way to convey even the mundane stories in a way that interests people. Like Ricky Gervais is really good at that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, one of my favorite exercises, I still do this as much as I can, um, is try and write the shortest stories. Right. So, um, so I saw Jimmy Carr do a piece on this in his most recent special where he, he's trying to figure out jokes that are just like one or two words. Right. And it's the same thing as with storytelling, like being able to, have such an economy of words so you yeah. use so few to get across a big idea yeah um when we're i was studying um writing and editing uh, in box hill and it was the journalism class funnily enough and everyone was like tasked with writing like, i didn't know you a, did journalism that's interesting a six word um six word story mm. and the best one that i heard um was baby shoes for sale never worn Shit, yeah, that's really good. How fucking heavy is that? I can see why that would stick in your head. It was, but it was, it was like six words, and that's a whole, like a whole universe opens up in your head when you hear those three words. You th start thinking about the parents. You think about, like, yeah, you you fill in the gaps, yeah, right? yeah, you, you, and your brain does it all, like instantly. That's right, because that's why, like, when when I said it to so you, went, oh, yeah, oh, dead baby, it's yeah, gotta that's a, right. it's got to be a dead baby. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess it's it's one of humans' strengths is to be able to fill in the gaps in story. It's also yeah. a weakness because we can have it used against us as yes, well. Yes, definitely. And, uh, you know, when we're filling in gaps with incorrect knowledge or, you know, coming from an incorrect space, you know, lies of omission become a thing because yeah. we just make up whatever we're led to make up mm. sometimes. Yeah. Mm, not me. Not me. I'm, definitely not. I would never manipulate anyone. I... I yeah, not me either. Yeah, no, I'm um, pure, very pure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you know, you're basically the father of the podcast. So I'm really glad we got an opportunity to get you to come on. Oh, great. I'm, finally. I'm very I was, pleased to be here. I, I was nice about it when you said that you might not be able to make it, but in, inside <laughs> I was crying. So yeah. no, I, I knew I knew we'd get there eventually. Well, was, there's, uh, there's, there's a story in that. 
but I'm not going to tell that story. But uh, yeah, I was a bit under wet, under the weather this morning. I've had very little sleep. Yes. Uh, the neighbors, well, I'll tell that part of the story. The, All na- right. the neighbors at the place I was staying at last night had their car stolen out of their carport at like 4 a.m. It was pretty horrific like and horrible for them, but mm. I, I found it like very funny at yeah. 4.30 this morning. It, well, it sounds to me like there was sort of a prankish aspect yeah. to it, where well, they knew they could, they knew they were visible, and they were just sort of making a, fun. They yeah. just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, the girl's car who got stolen, she had been parking it out of the front of the place I was staying at, and it was pissing off the person who lives there. Right. So she finally started parking it in the back, and it was like the second time she'd parked the car in the carport, <laughs> and it got fucking stolen. That is funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. I'm sorry for their and you know, um, loss for, of their car. Unfortunately, yeah. Well, it's a car. She's going. I'm sure she has insurance. I'm sure yeah, it'll be yeah. fine. Um, it's it, they're just things, sweetie. It's fine. I know you had people break into your house and steal your keys. That's upsetting. Sure. Yeah. That's an invasion of privacy. But yeah. fuck the car. You can get another car. I mean, it's a, it's a violation. It's a traumatic experience that's going to last with her, you know, for the rest of her life and affect her forever. Yeah, course. she'll remember to lock the fucking back door but from it's, now on. It's still it's still funny <laughs> for us. I yeah. Mean, it will, uh, yeah. Was it Dave Chappelle? Uh, everything's funny until it happens to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the main topic that we were going to discuss today mm-hmm. is this idea of narrative therapy, which I must admit I'm fairly na- naive on. So yep. um, I'll leave it to you to sort of introduce what is narrative therapy, yep. uh, how does it apply, how have you applied it in the past, yep. and uh, you know, give us a bit of background. Yeah, so I'll, like, I'll preface it by saying I'm by no means any expert on it. Sure. Um, I did my, you know, my research and study on it and thought that it was something I'd be able to apply with the young people that I was working with at the time. So I was working in a youth residential rehab for um, mental health. Yep. But a lot of those, um, I, I, the wording around what the people I worked with were called always bugged me. Mm. Um, they were called consumers. What? All mental health patients are considered consumers because they're consuming a service. This is the patients. Correct. They're referred to as consumers. They don't like client because it's too clinical. Yeah. And it's like, well, it is a fucking clinical environment. Consumer's worse than client. Way worse. Or participant. I um, would probably out of the three pick participant, maybe, I always, but it's still pretty passive. I always went with young people. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because it's- If it's a youth center, I assume that would yeah, be valid. It's, yeah. It's gentle and it's not like your other. Mm. You're just a, a young person. Mm. Um, anyway. Could have called them the needy. Or the fucked up. Call yeah. them the fucked up. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Hey, retards, <laughs> get in the bus. Um, anyway, back to narrative therapy. I'm no expert on it, but I thought I could apply it with these kids on what I'd read. And my, again, my love of story, Irish Catholic family, all everyone's a fucking storyteller. Um, what sort of time period was this? Was it before we had the conversation about popcorn lobotomy, after? During, that's like During. around the time that I was, I kind of started. So to, was it one of those instances when story kind of pops up or narrative pops up and you go, now that I'm thinking like that, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. That could work. Yeah. Um, Happens to me all the time now. And I was also like, I had to run a new group. So they needed something right. for Thursdays. And I was like, well, there's only so many times I can like have a YouTube day yeah. or um, <laughs> take them to the park. Yeah. I was like, well, let's do something useful to them. So I've, I've had three young people that I worked with. Um, and the idea behind narrative therapy is that we write our own stories, good or bad. So the other thing is that we learn about ourselves by hearing ourselves talk. Mm, that's so, interesting. So when you are able to articulate what, what, how you feel or what's going on for you, you actually gain more insight about yourself by hearing those things be said out loud. I'm sure everyone's had those moments where you go, 
oh, like you're surprised by something you've said because mm. it's like, oh, why you go, yeah, that is what I really think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the idea with this and these people were um, dual diagnosis, so mental health issues um, across the board. So like, I mean, I couldn't say I worked just with people with um, BPD or mm. um, generalized anxiety or PTSD or on and on, everything. Like it was across the board. Um, but it's safe to say these young people had experienced significant trauma in their life. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff that has in turn traumatized me from learning about it and experiencing, you know, the things that kind of go on in a mental health rehab. Mm. Um, lots of suicide, self-harm, things like that. Mm. Um, but they had very difficult lives and had difficult times making sense of why their lives were this way. A lot of the stuff in it is senseless and it was none of their fault in mm. any way. Um, but in, in our lives and our stories, we kind of perpetuate the same things over and over and over again. Mm. So the idea with the narrative therapy is to get them to write their story down, mm-hmm. how they see it. Um, and I explained to them, more about the therapy is that what we do is we then look at your story and we can identify patterns. So why is it that every time I get into a relationship, it's abusive? Okay. Um, no, well, the story wouldn't be that though. That's a question. The, well, that's a part, not what the I'm story would be. I attract abusive boyfriends or something like that. Where well, that's they put that, themselves at the center of the story and assign blame somehow. Correct. Right? And that is both true and untrue. So yes, no, you don't like you don't deserve to be abused and mm. those things. But that's the story. The story is I deserve these things. Yeah, no, you don't. So if you take that out of your story and replace it with something different, um, how does the story look now? How does it play out now? Mm. Um, so the way I said to them I was like, I'm their editor. So you go write your story. I always wanted it written. I didn't like. We talk about it later. And that's when they start to realize things, when they read their story out loud, because most of them will write it down on a piece of paper and never say it Did out loud. Did you get them to write it as third person? Um, first person? I just let them write it however, however they want. However okay. they wanted. Um, what did they generally do? Facts, dates. So I did this sometime. Yeah, this okay. happened, Chronology. then this happened, then this mm. happened, now I'm here. Often there was no ownership in any of it. So it was just like these things happened to me and that's who I am. It was much later, it was after I did it, but... Um, it was a, like a Joe Rogan video. It's like an inspirational kind of deal. But it's like if you woke up every morning and your life was a movie and you're the star of that movie, what would you do? Mm. That yeah. sounds familiar. I know the guy that says that stuff. Yeah. It's not Tony Robbins or someone, but no, someone. It's one of those guys. One of those types of guys, yeah. Um, what would you do? And would you like just roll over and go, fuck, that's a shit movie. Like yeah. what would you do? Go out and get those things that you want. Yeah. Because no one's going to get them for you. Yeah. Um. In fact, if it's a story, there's usually an antagonist trying to stop you. Right. There's not very often very you know people trying to help you. Yeah, but that's <laughs> what I'm. Well, you, you've got to go out there and, and fight for it. You're mm. not going to get it unless you're the Avengers, in which case it's a whole team. True. Yeah, in that case, but most people don't write the, the Avengers when they write their story. I would imagine. I had one smart ass kid who just like wrote some fucking like Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction and gave yeah. it to me, and I was like, I'm impressed by this, but. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's we not have really to, the exercise. We have to sit here now for an hour yeah. and talk about Buffy. The f- we're we're going to talk about- We need about, to hear you read this out now. You're going to read this out and we're going to talk to you about it like it's really your fucking life because yeah. you have wasted like you have wasted so much of my your own time and yeah. mine for- Well, 
is it wasted? I mean, it does I don't think tell it, was. it, it was does funny. tell a story in itself. The it, fact that he decided not to follow the instructions. I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. So yeah, it goes from that to me going through their story and saying like I'm editing this, or mm. we're, gonna, we're we're going to edit this together, um, and taking out the parts I don't like, mm. and then looking at those parts and why they don't like that part of their story mm. and the potential root cause for these things. Would you take out the events themselves or would you just take out the interpretation of the events? The interpretation. Yeah, right. So the way that they saw it, because mm. that's really what's important. It's not important what actually happened. It's important how that makes up their story as yeah. a person. Um, well, it's what they learn from it, right? Right. Mm. It, it, was, it was really tough work. And, I, you know, I heard a lot of things that I hadn't heard about some of these people that I'd worked with pretty closely. Right. Stuff that held pretty close to their chest. So again, it was that thing of story resonating with them. Um, there was 10 kids there, only three of them wanted to do it. Um, the rest were like, this is bullshit. You can't fucking fix me by changing my story. Millennials. Like, oh. Fuck yeah. Don't you love that eye-rolling millennials thing that people do? It's like, uh, yeah, do you remember when your parents didn't understand you yeah. and now you're doing that? Yeah. Technically, I think I fall in that category of millennial, right? But there's keep they keep putting things in, uh, making up new words and shit to try and make people of my specific age feel better. Because mm. I identify far more with Generation X because that's what I grew up and they were the older people and they were the cool people. I was like, I want to do right like that. I'm the opposite. I I I missed the window by five years. I think you have to be born after 1980 or something. Yeah. But um, I feel more like a millennial than my parents. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. Like yeah, yeah when people are referring to shit as the Facebook and the Twitter, like, <laughs> that's no. right. <laughs> Facebook. It was originally called that though. The Facebook. Yeah, it well, was. There you go. Yeah. Well, they it's saw the, they right. saw the movie and that's all they know about. It. <laughs> exactly. Well, they watched the first ten minutes yeah. until they just named it Facebook. Yeah. Then. Yeah, but no, no, definitely. Like, I mean, I definitely reap all the rewards of millennial living, mm. but I still remember sitting in the backyard with a stick and dirt, mm. and that being enough. By the benefits of millennial living, you mean the debt slavery, or that's. Yeah, well, that that's no, a highlight, a, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's yeah. one of my favorite parts. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, I love that. thanks, baby boomers. You guys I wouldn't are- know what to do with myself if it wasn't for the debt slavery. I'd be completely unmotivated, <laughs> twiddling my thumbs, just going playing video games or something. So, yeah. So yeah, like that that work was it was really interesting. Um, so did you find it uh, effective? How long did you do it for? And, did it for uh, six months with them. Yeah. Um, so we just kept revisiting the story mm-hmm. and also like talking about their lives and how things are changing. So you did this weekly or how often was Fortnightly, this? Fortnightly. I'd, I'd, I'd check in with them. And you'd bring out the the story every time, the one that they'd written or the edited version of the one that they'd written and revise it again? For the first few times. And yeah. then after a while, the conversation just kind of becomes fluid because you've talked about what's in the, in that story. Sometimes they want to rewrite the story and that's great because yeah. that's what the whole point is. Yeah. So we're going to rewrite your story. Well, that's kind of the win, isn't it? When they go, actually, I'd rather write rewrite it now. It's changed so much. Right. That's that's what you're going for, and that's kind of that aha moment for them when they go, "Oh, I can, mm. I, I can rewrite it, can't I?" Like, yeah, mm. start now. Did you find anyone who rewrote their story but then still didn't believe it or didn't kind of adopt it in the way that you'd hoped? No. So, like the my job title when I was, I'm not going to name the place because fuck them. <laughs> All right, <laughs> there's a story there too. Yeah, well, there's a long fucking story of that, but yeah, that's not for today. They, uh, I was a community rehabilitation support worker. Right. So I really, just just a shitty way of not calling me a mental health practitioner because then they'd have to fucking pay me more. The key part of that title was support. So I was there to support the young people I was working with. Okay. Whatever they wanted to do, I'd support them. Okay. If they didn't want to do fucking anything and just wanted to like sneaky smoke bongs out the back of the resi, 
Okay. You could support that. I, I, yeah, sure. Well, I don't, you don't need any support with that. You're crushing it on your own. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but in a month, you're going to be homeless. And like, if you don't go out to these places and look at the motherfuckers, I'll drive you there. Mm. I'll support you. I'll talk to the real estate agents and shit. But it, I'm not going to find them for you, mate. I'm not, mm. an, I'm not an estate agent. I'm not your personal assistant. No. Support. I'll support Supporting you. what you're doing, what not you're do- yeah. doing it for you. You need yeah. a lift. You need you need uh, um, to access money from or you know aid material aid that kind of shit. You know you, mm. you need someone to go to Centrelink and fucking crack skulls so you get paid this week. Mm. I'm your man, but I'm not going to do shit for you. Or I might, but I'll only do things for you if I can see that you're you know already fucking doing things. Exactly. So I'm going to help you out by going. Oh well, I could just do this for him quick and it'll be done, and then I can be like, bang, there you're yeah. you're a step ahead. But if you're just sitting in your fucking lounge room all day playing guitar and chain smoking out in the front lawn, I'm like, mate, what do you want me to do? Mm. Like, I've still got to sit down with you twice a week and talk to you for at least an hour. But sometimes it's that, that shit just went in circles too. There's, there's people that go into those services and want change and want to examine themselves and make sense of things. Mm. It's like 12 months. So you get a full 12 months to kind right. of, I mean, you, you know, groups are mandatory. I mean, there's no curfew. They're free to come and go as they please. No visitors after nine. Yeah. No one ever fucking. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. prison. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> by, by no means. It's no. like free. I mean, it was like 50, $120 a fortnight for power, electricity, a house, Wi Fi, right. groups where you're getting like, to do shit and like a couple of free meals a week because we're doing cooking and shit like that, independent yeah. living skills, recreation shit. So we're taking the movies and shit like that. Like, you know, it was a pretty fucking sweet deal. Like the thing is that job was amazing and I really enjoyed doing it. Mm. Um, it ended very, very poorly. My mental health had suffered considerably because I'd given essentially three years of my life to that work. I was on a, like a conveyor belt of work and then going home and being dad and putting the kids to bed then drinking and then going back to work mm. and then just over like six days a week sometimes to you know 10 o'clock at night still at least you must have had a feeling that it was you were doing something worthwhile yeah well the, that that thing about that job is that when i started it i had a, a knack for picking people that wouldn't last so i, I got the job and i like i'd done other work before this youth resi i've worked in um, youth detention and just regular ward of the state residential care so mm. kids that have got no parents and can't get in a foster home because they're too fucking mm. wild they just get put in a house with workers and i did a lot of that out in like regional victoria which was fun because i grew up in the country so like it's really cute seeing like country kids trying to get fucking wild and i'm like mm. oh yeah we might be a push fight tonight at the supermarket yeah like, no one's pulling knives no one's you know but they're still pretty wild they pull the copper wire out of the fucking walls and shit to resell it yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just throw they, it away. They pull, oh, just to <laughs> fuck the house up. Just know? to fuck the house up. They set, well. set the kitchen on fire every other fucking day. Yeah. Just hack the couch to pieces and shit. And like, it's your house, dude. That's, I get to go home at the end. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, you know, you go home to, I mean, in a sense, I would imagine uh, without any uh, first-hand knowledge at all, being a father is somewhat similar to being a youth counselor or, or whatever support nah, counselor for me they're very separate things well i mean you're not dealing with kids that are fucked up but you've still got to think about similar things my how kids you're... might be fucked up i don't know yet well i don't yeah we have to, <laughs> we have to wait and i see. certainly certainly wouldn't uh i certainly would puzzle that myself yeah you know that that would be for you to know but yeah, potentially no. no they're good now yeah but you know 
Time will tell. Oh, my, my, my ex-wife is always like, when they're teenagers, they're fucking yours. And I'm like, yeah, I know because I know how to talk to them, speak to them. Mm. Um, and it's about authenticity. Mm. If um, you are fake or you're trying to put on a, like you're trying to be cool, we t- they say straight through that shit. Yeah, exactly. If you're just who you are, unashamedly, yeah, they'll respect that because that's kind of what they want. They but want that- to find who out, they want to find out who they are and be able to proudly be that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is something I always think about, this idea of being yourself and being authentic. I think um, it was Gary Shandling. I posted a video on Facebook ages ago about Gary Shandling. Just someone was saying, what's the wisdom? What's the wisdom you got? You know, blah, blah, blah. Kept hounding him. And then eventually he just said something about being authentic. And I was like, if that's the goal, being authentic, am I doing that? Mm. You know, because I looked up to Gary Shandling. Yeah. Awesome guy. Um, Did one of the best TV shows ever. I agree. And uh, always interesting. And I thought I'd, I'd really love to rewatch that as an adult because I watched it as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure plenty of it went over my head. Yeah. Let's um, let's do a marathon. I, if I can find it, yeah. I would love to watch that all again. Hey now. Yeah, absolutely. Great show. But yeah, the, I, I could never work out whether it's been a long time, but I, at the time I couldn't work out whether I was being authentic or not, mm. which I think indicated I wasn't. Yeah. But it's a it's not a straightforward thing. If it sounds like you just do nothing and you're yourself. Yeah. But it's not that. It's no. it's finding a way to express yourself that's authentic. Yeah. That's, and that's it's hard. also it's also about doing the things that scare you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's something that I've been doing for the last uh, four or five years. This, this is one thing, like yeah. because everyone used to tell me you've got the most annoying voice I've ever heard. So that's- I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to use my voice for something. I did raps. Oh my God, I did raps that, you know, sorry about that. To no, no, completely... no. They were, they were excellent. <laughs> I had to do comedic though, because if no, I tried no, to no. do anything serious, it would uh, be comedy, more comedy raps are like, this is coming from somebody that's, is <laughs> considers himself at the moment, a, you know, an MC and a beginning comedian. Yeah. Comedy raps, putting those two things together, that's hard as shit. Like, I can't, I can't do it. Although, like, I, I did I, find it hard, actually. I've done a little yeah. bit of it for, um, the the next thing that I'm working on musically, you've got I, comedy skits in your uh, Grumpy yeah. Old Man album. I always loved they're hip, funny. I always loved hip hop albums that had the skits. In yeah, the middle. yeah. It didn't matter that. if they were funny or if they were like violent, whatever the fuck they were. Mm. I always loved how that kind of gave you a bit of a, a picture of the artist. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, it might just be like him walking to his car and having a fight with his girlfriend in the car. Then it goes into the next song. Yeah, but it's just that like it's storytelling is what it is. It is. is. It makes it into a story Um, and it makes the album cohesive, which is part of what I really loved about your albums. mm. More so grumpy old man. I think it's just a cohesive story on a particular set of themes and topics Mm. that it's, um, yeah, it's it, when you listen to it as a whole, it's different from just listening to one song. Yeah. And that's what I always look for in everything that I listen to is one particular song might sound good, but then I, when I listen to the album, I'm listening to an album. I'm not. I'm listening to it in the sequence that it was intended. Right. And I, I never the, break the sequence. Shuffle is like the worst thing ever invented. It's context where the song sits in the context of the rest of the album. That's right. So you know, pop albums often are just a collection of singles. Mm. And there's there's real no there's no flow to it or anything like that. It's just mm. a big a collection of really good songs. Mm. But there's no yeah there's no flow to it. It's not an album. It's like mm. a best of or something. Most of my favorite albums have that dare I say it narrative through them yeah that's right where it's even if it's not like a clear point a to point b or even if it's not you know you go on tangents on the way yeah but once you've it's it's a whole thing mm. it's not just a yeah like you said you, you might love a really love one of the songs on it and listen to that more mm. than the other ones but 
they're the albums that when you put them on, you have to listen to them front to back. Yeah. And there's two levels, right? There's the context within the album mm. and then there's the single yeah. context. Sometimes you can just listen to a single song. Or a song just sticks out to you. Or, like or insane, you. insane on Road to Arkham. Yeah. It's like that for me. I can just listen to that song over and over again yeah. and I don't need to have the context of the album to mm. like that song. But at the same time, in the context, it's good too. So, you know, it has another layer. So there's, there's just certain artists that do it really well. Like Nine Inch Nails does it really oh, well on yeah, his, um, the Fragile, especially. Trent, Trent Reznor is a yeah. fucking genius. Silverchair, the, di- the Diorama album was yes. like that, but that wasn't a narrative story or even no, but it's thematic, def- but it felt consistent yes. and, and a journey. And all the songs flowed into one another. There was yeah. no, there's no like hard pauses in between the songs. Exactly. Um, I mean, I tried to avoid the hard pauses in the songs with Grumpy with those skits. Yeah, right. Because, um, it, yeah, it kind of just moved you on to the next part of the album. Yeah. Um, well, it's almost like there's two threads weaving in and out of each other. So, yeah. you know, there's the skit, which has a consistent sort of narrative and, and topics that you talk about. And then there's mm. the music, which is sort of telling a relatively separate story. But, yeah, definitely. You know, the, the, the musical part is quite serious yeah. and the skit part is quite humorous. And then there's the song about driving a hearse through all day's mum's sunroom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, it crosses over at a point as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just briefly. Yeah. I don't know. I just, in fact, listening to your album and, and just thinking about, I don't know, when you know someone who's created something, I think you treat it differently from if they're just some anonymous. Yeah. Eventually, if you listen to enough Eminem or something, you'll feel like you know Eminem at the yeah. end. But if you start off knowing someone, you treat the material differently. And I think with your material, I sort of, I was invested in it to start because I knew you and I was like, okay, I want to understand it. Mm. And uh, it was a, a sort of a different journey from, uh, if, I mean, I may never even come across it if I hadn't met you, of course. So, because mm. as I said, it's very hard to find. I like being hard to find. Yeah. Well, there's, there's. Yeah, I, I sort of do that with the podcast as well. I don't really promote it because yeah, I, I kind of like the idea that it's something that if someone discovered it and they liked it, it'd be quite a gem, right? It'd yeah. be something like, well, no one else is doing this weird topic. So yeah. it's kind of cool from that aspect. I mean, for me, music's always been about the performance aspect of it, live performance. Right. Um, like I like recording it and making it and all the fun that goes into you know crafting it. But all I'm really trying to do is give myself new material to go on stage. Yeah, so I'm the opposite. I would, I can't even imagine myself going on stage. You know, I mean, just talking about things that scare you, I've always identified stand-up comedy as the thing that scares me the most, which is why. It terrified me too. But that was the thing yeah. of like, well, can I do this? And mm. thanks to you and Rod coming that night. Because if you guys. Do you reckon you would have bailed if we hadn't turned up? Probably. Really? Yeah, I probably would have fucking. Yeah, probably. It's mm, interesting. I probably would have bailed. I, but see, that's like, that's been a default. For me for a long time and it's something i did a lot with music when i first started is i'd like go to go to something but like social anxiety and ha- having to be around people and shit i just couldn't fucking do it so i didn't want to go right. i didn't want people to i don't know i just didn't want them to i didn't want to be rejected yeah by, by the thing that i liked so much right mm. and i never was i've always been welcomed most places with fairly open arms but no that's right yeah. it's um an irrational what's well, anxiety it's an irrational fear so with with the comedy thing, like I could easily like devolt to just be like, oh, okay, okay, I don't have that. But the other thing is like I don't. I'm approaching comedy with the knowledge I learned from working in the music industry for yeah, fifteen years. You sort of have a head start. First of all, you have stage presence sort of nailed already. Yeah, and know how to use is, a microphone, which a lot of 
up and coming comedians if there are isn't that listening. weird that people don't learn the basics you've you got know? one fucking job mate yeah Talk that's right the microphone clearly exactly <laughs> that's it that's your whole job yeah it was really interesting that night that we went because it was all open mic and they were all fairly new as far as no, i can those, tell those first two brackets more. no no not the two yeah that's right but at the end yeah but even the early brackets they made mistakes and reacted when yeah. when there was feedback in the speakers well that's and- what i did when i came back yeah like i i got pissed off at the microphone because it, it mm. kept cutting out but i only made a nod to it once because mm. i was in the middle of i was about to throw into a voice yeah right and i went to lean into it and the microphone was cutting out on me and I'm oh like, that sucks so i was like this microphone that that happened the night we were there so yeah. it must they haven't fixed it it's just like all they need is fucking a little bit of gaffer tape what is it? Is it like a SM58 yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, Well, they're usually pretty robust. It's, yeah, yeah it's just like, tape the motherfucker together. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And this, you know, like you said, that night that we went, you said you should get up too, right? Yeah. Or I think you said you're getting up. Yeah. And I said, I'm definitely not. <laughs> but that's part of the reason that I'm not is because I've built it up as kind of the end goal in my head. Yeah. And if I happen to do well... That would be the worst possible thing. It'd be like winning a gold medal the first time you go to the Olympics. Well, like, see, I haven't bombed yet, um, um, I re- no. and I really want to. You did really well. Yeah, but I really want to bomb. Like, yeah. I want to experience the silence. I, I feel like if it doesn't make me suffer, it's not going to live up to right. the goal that I set myself, right. and I'm going to have to come up with a new goal, and that's kind of an effort, you know? Yeah. So, it did, look, it did take a little bit of the mystique away from it for mm. me because, again, for me, it was like a – I could never do that. Like I wish, like I, I think I could, but I don't. Don't think you know. And I'm such a big nerd of comedy and a fan mm. of comedy, a student of comedy. Mm. Like I realized all these years, all that obsessive watching of every fucking stand-up special I could get my hands on. It was research. It was all research. Yeah. Um, I was watching how they were making their moves. It was like watching, like when you'd watch basketball as a kid, and you'd see Michael Jordan do something cool, and then you'd go out on the playground, and then you try and do it. Yeah. Um. You couldn't do it quite as well, but if you kept practicing, maybe you could like do that like reverse layup with the, where the ball spins off the fucking backboard. You know? Yeah, not me. Yeah, definitely <laughs> off but, the cards um, for me. Yeah, but comedy is one of those things where it's kind of there's not a lot of behind the scenes stuff. There's been a couple of really good uh, documentaries mm-hmm. in the last say ten years, I yeah. think. You know, 10, I, 15 I, years. I liked the Jerry Seinfeld half of the comedian documentary. Ah, uh, it wasn't it great. But and that Orty, what was his name? Orny, 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 something. <sighs> my God, that was frustrating because, I, uh, yeah. Oh my God, like just such a neurotic, self entitled. Yeah, yeah, just doing it all wrong and not knowing, not being even self-conscious about it. I've done, I've done all this work. I deserve. You don't deserve anything, motherfucker. Nothing. I do that on the podcast groups all the time. I keep reminding them: no one asks you to make make a podcast. Stop bitching about the amount of work it is. Yeah, you either do it or you don't. That's right. You do it for you or you do it for your audience. Yeah. But don't bitch about the fact that no one's paying you for it. No. Yeah. No one asks you for it. The world doesn't need it. I made the choice (laughs) this year to just focus on art. Yeah. So I kicked my job in the ass yeah. I was like, i'm not gonna work well i am gonna work yeah. but the work i'm gonna do is the work i want to do so i sometimes i'll spend nine to five at southland with a notebook and mm. a cup of coffee a few cups of coffee and i'll just write jokes about the mutants that are walking around a shopping center on a monday that's gotta hurt your revenue stream though right the coffee <laughs> no well yeah i guess coffee is pretty expensive but yeah. no more just you know not having a steady job you know i've i've yeah, had man, this it's a steady it's, job for too long. I don't, you know, I'd love to just quit it and do creative stuff, but I don't know how to support myself. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm figuring that out. So, yeah. the beauty of it is, I hadn't performed for a very long time. Mm. Um, anything like, like comedy hadn't wasn't even a it was a thought at this point, but I 
hadn't performed music for ages and a friend invited me to go to the Toffin Town to play with, with the live band there. I was mortified. I didn't know if I could still do it. I couldn't remember any. Like I'm trying to rhyme songs that I, I've known for years in my head on the way to the event. I just couldn't remember any of my own lyrics. I'm just like, wow. this is going to be a fucking nightmare. This is going to be the worst fucking thing ever. I got there and um, felt sick. I mm. waited the whole first set. I didn't get up. And then the um, bass player, who's my friend Jesse, came over and was like, you fucking, you're opening the second set. I'm like, Anyways, then they, they came on and they were playing like really like driving hard, like boom bappy hip hop shit. Took the mic out of the stand and it all just was like riding a bike. It just all came back to me all at once. Not mm. not just the words, but the persona, the, the stage presence, the mm. how to get the drummer to bring the beat down, how to stop the saxophone players. Like It, like it was all there, mm. muscle memory. And it was after that happened. I've gone there every Tuesday night since. All right. Um, I call it Tuesday night church. Yeah. It just makes me feel right. Some of the most talented musicians in Melbourne play there every Tuesday night. Mm. Um, and some of the singers and stuff that turn up, mind bending. The fact that I get to hang out with these people, call them peers and friends is incredible. And mm. I feel like it's like my retirement plan for music. Like I'm still making music, but I don't, it's not something I ever want to like push super hard and make. Like money's never been the goal of music. It's, and that's, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get around to is people that do think that, uh, that Orny guy, Mm. if your goal is money, you'll never get there. No, no, the goal can't be money, but the goal to make your money, which you're going to have to make one way or another, doing something that's either got worth or that you just enjoy even, you know, uh, I think that's still a worthy goal. It's, it's, it's a balance though. You've got to be careful with it. Yeah. 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 Look, I've got, I've got three kids that I have Mm. to feed. Um, but look, after that Tuesday, money came the next week. I finished that that night and the keyboard player who was booking the room at the time said, do you want to host the next two weeks in a row? It'll be this much. And I was like, fuck, that was quick. Yeah, that's right. Great. And then the same with comedy. This will be like my third or fourth fourth time I've ever done it and I'm yeah. getting paid for it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, oh, I didn't even realize that. That's a big step up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you realize no one does this, right? Like this doesn't happen to any comedians. They they suffer for years and years and years. Gonna, all of them do. All uh, the good ones. If if I'm going to live in this country, I'll suffer as a comedian. Yeah, always because I mean, I'm not down talking what anyone does, but it's like a bell curve. Yeah, of like comedy, then they kind of transition into those fucking TV panel shows and shit. And then yeah, back into comedy. Oh, that's then, definitely the goal. Get on those panel shows, mate. Yeah, you'll love that. Well, the thing is, it'll drive, only, drive time radio. It'll only happen once. I mean, I got fired three times from my high school radio station. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, the first time uh, was after like a big like dance or a deb or something. Yeah. And um, the one of the girls. This is not very nice, but I was fucking seventeen. So you're a kid. Yeah, I was a kid. None of the things are nice. That's why I got fired three times. <laughs> So there was like a little window that went into the drama room where they could watch this broadcast from. And it just like played out into the PA and it outside. She had hooked up with someone's younger brother and everyone was kind of making jokes about it and shit. I can't remember the boy's name. I remember her name. His name was Katrina. I was like, this next song goes out to Katrina. Now, I swear to God, I didn't know what the next song was going to be. <laughs> I don't know if I believe you. On my, I, didn't have my, I, wasn't on, I was on the mic. I wasn't on the computer. Yeah. Steve. My friend Steve, uh, who was my, my co-host, he hit play on our pre 
organized playlist. Like yeah. it wasn't like it was just a massive database and he hit shuffle. He just played what the next song was. Yeah. And it was easy by Faith No More. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that pretty much I mean, there's probably three songs that you might pick that would have the same effect. Yeah. yeah. She was literally like frothing at the window like a rabid dog. <laughs> uh I had to write an apology. Yeah. As is the way in high school. And um I was taken off the air. Well, it's now the way on Twitter as well and pretty much everywhere else in life. You have to apologize for everything. You I say. then petition went around mm. as certain people wanted me back on the radio. Right. Um, so back by popular demand. We had, we had these characters, Sven and Hayden. Yeah. Who spoke, <laughs> That's a funny name. Yeah. Who spoke in broad, like some kind of European accent. So I think they, right. were, I think they were Swedish. Okay. But we just like threw all... There was Dutch stuff about them, like, and we just talked in ridiculous accents and mm-hmm. uh, used a lot of sexual innuendos. <laughs> and we could have friend Melissa's beautiful young lady. She would come in and play our dog and just bark. All right. Because we got a massive kick out of it, the fact that, and she thought it was hilarious that yeah. all she did was bark. Yeah. That reminds me of the joke they made on South Park when George Clooney came and wanted to be a voice. And they made him a dog and all he does is sniffle and bark. Yeah. Yeah. If it's um, funny to them, it's got to be funny to everyone yeah. else, surely. Um, the second time, uh, they, were, they were doing like a, a fundraiser across all the shows for like uh, kids with leukemia or some shit. Right. And being a pro wrestling fan, I was like, I'll play the heel and I'll make people donate in spite of me. So that was genuinely my intent. But... You did it too well, didn't you? I definitely did. <laughs> I made a lot of money that year. Um, I I kept Steve kept trying to bring it up, and I kept cutting him off. I'm oh, not. Nah, we're not. We're not promoting that on our show. And he's, like, <laughs> and he's like, "Why?" I go, "Mate, we've heard it all week. Everybody knows what it's about and where they need to go. Everyone knows it's in the office." So without doing the copy, mm. I was still nodding to it. And everyone, blah blah blah. We'd go off on a song, and I'd be like, "No, no, just keep trying to bring it up, and I'll keep cutting you down." I've got, <laughs> I've got a finisher. And he's like, "Okay." So we went on for the whole show, and at the end, he's like, "Why, why, why won't you donate any money to this cause, Joel?" And I was mm. like, "I'm sick of kids with cancer. It's not my fault. They're rotting from the insides out." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can imagine. Yeah, that, that wouldn't necessarily that, be accepted well by everybody. It's funny to me. They got me kicked off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Was there another petition after that? No, no, no. I would just sneak in on other people's shows oh, after yeah. that. Um, <laughs> Steve had to do his show by himself. Right. Uh, but I would sneak into that. There's two guys who did a show called Black Friday and it right. was just all rap music. So I was always in there like, you know. Skulking around. Yeah. Yeah. But we'd yell shit like off mic, but yeah. loud enough so people could hear it through yeah, the yeah. system. I'm like, technically I'm not on the radio. Yeah, that's right. Funnily enough, I stole most of the stuff that we got to make that radio station when I left Year Twelve. Yeah, it's like mm, nice headphones. How did you have a radio station Year Twelve? We had nothing like we that. Con- at my we school. convinced uh, me and Matthew Viscusi convinced the fucking the media teacher to help us do it, and we spent a day, like a weekend at the school running wire and shit to make it all work. Um, uh, but you had a media teacher. See, I think in my era there was no such thing yeah. as a media teacher. Yeah. So it's VCE in the year two thousand. Yeah, right. I mean, I wasn't. You know, I was only few years before that and it was an art arty school yeah so like they had they had so many different art subjects that just weren't offered at other high schools right so the reason that's cool the reason that i 
chose to go to that school was because of that shit stuff like i did um carving and stuff so like you get mm. linoleum and make prints and like that was a whole semester it was just we, we got a soldering iron wrote our name in a piece of wood yeah it's probably just as good right done, done one of them before yeah <laughs> that was great learned a lot about that oh, yeah yeah i burnt a lot of that solder i used to just sit in class and just burn the shit out of it just mm. waste it <laughs> wonder how much solder i wasted while i was in high school did you like the smell or something i did like the smell yeah, yeah. it's got that very distinctive smell and then i just jam the fucking soldering iron in the desk so it'll just burn a hole straight through the desk yeah i was i was definitely had my shit together do you think your experience as uh, a young person informed your experience dealing with young people because you wouldn't have gone through anything as extreme as the people no not as extreme but um definitely difficult yeah. scenarios was that why you were drawn to the work uh, becoming a father is what drove me to the work i was watching an episode of four corners and it was about youth suicide in casey which is where the, mm -hmm. you know the shire of casey where i was living at the time and it was just a pandemic like three kids were throwing themselves in front of the fucking train at berwick station a week i know i had a brother-in-law who was a train driver so yeah like he was like this the the one guy who hadn't hit anyone yet yeah for like five years or something yeah. like that apparently it happens to all of them oh yeah, yeah no it, it, it yeah it's yeah. they guarantee it yeah when you sign up if That's you're right. any kind of train driver yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a city driver or you drive a fucking freight train mm. during basic training they're like you are going to run over a person oh, yeah. exactly and they have counselors on the ready they go yeah. they, they know exactly what to do as soon as it happens yeah, yeah. i want to do something about this like mm. this is where my kids are going to grow up i don't want it to get worse and i'm thinking like is it because there's nothing for them to fucking do what is it about this shire and all these fucking kids killing themselves was it worse in casey than anywhere else i mean was that in, a across the state it was the worst fucking place it was like this pocket of outer suburban kids that fucking had enough mm. why did you ever um, get close to the answer? No, there's no answer. The thing that comes with mental health work is a very, very severe case of gallows humor because it's the only way to deal with the shit. Of course, yeah. Um, so the things that are said in back offices, you know, uh, nurses stations, back yeah, offices at, at mental health facilities is, is some of the darkest, bleakest shit mm. I've ever fucking heard in my life and said in my life. Well, my my mum was a nurse, and she's got a picture of herself holding up someone's intestines while they're having an operation. And I'm like, "Mum, this isn't cool." Like it's a fish, like kind of, what yeah. I call it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, which I just thought. Um, I mean, that's horrible. You shouldn't ever do. Yes, you should. Yeah, we, we we don't endorse it. But um, yeah, apparently that's quite common. Like everyone sort of you know does weird shit like that when yeah. you, when you're in that kind of yeah. It's why ambulance drivers police and mental health workers have the highest rate of alcoholism they don't know how else to fucking deal with it other than pour liquor on it how's the wine by the way i finished it ages ago <laughs> i know massive alcoholic there's another half a bottle over there if you want to grab some sure but yeah i just I, I look around at the moment and i you know it seems to me and i don't know why it is you might have an insight but it seems to me that the idea of mental health is becoming so prevalent that almost everybody you meet claims to have some mental health issue and some people use it as a cop out. I mean, not not in my work life, like, yeah. but I bet if I knew those people better, they'd all yeah. claim some kind of you know OCD. I, I always say I'm OCD or some of those things where we are, where people um, diagnose themselves with things like OCD. When if you were to truly experience what true obsessive compulsive disorder feels like, you'd never you know just because you no. like just because you like your shit neat. 
yeah. doesn't mean you have OCD. No, that's right. I just use it as a way to describe my yeah, personality. Yeah, yeah. It's, not... become, it's become like a common term. But, but it's sometimes for people, it's... like I've worked with people that have OCD mm. and it's one of the things that they fucking hate the most. It's people mm. like, oh, my OCD is acting up again. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I know. Uh, no, you just like like your forks to be clean. I've had to wash my hands 400 times today. Yeah. They're raw. Yeah, I'm right. bleeding. That's, that's right. obsessive. My fingernails have fallen off. Yeah. No, I can imagine if you took it to extremes, it would be uh, extremely hard to deal with. I mean, but, you know, it would are... make your brain almost an unlivable place. Yes, that is probably the best description of suffering from some form of mental illness. Mm. Is you, it's unlivable in there? Yeah. You, you don't want to be in there, but there's no way out. There's You're no always escape. In there. Yeah. And we are. And we, are we are in our minds all the time. Yeah, it's relentless. When we're feeling emotions, we're kind of in our chest, you know, the heart yep. area. And we, when we feel bad, we're in our gut, but we're always in our head. We're yep. always there. That's like the command center or whatever. Well, that's one of the techniques that I've, I've used and I've, like I've had therapists uh, use on me is when thinking about difficult things or hard things, it's, yeah, it kind of has to be guided. You can't kind of do it on your own. You can. You can notice it. Like when I notice I get angry and my shoulders all of a sudden get very, very hard mm. and like I, I physically become like stone. Mm. That's um, where you hold your tension in the back of your Me too, yeah. Shoulders and neck, yeah. yeah. And um, she talked me through different emotions and then asked me where I could feel it in my body as a grounding technique to try and take you out of your head and put the emotion somewhere else. Yeah, right. So if you're feeling angry, or heartbroken, actually putting the feeling into your heart and not in your mind. And it's only momentary. It only slows things down for the moment, but mm. it helps you kind of compartmentalize what's what's there, what's going on, what you're feeling. Well, a moment can be enough to stop you from taking an action based on that emotion. So I'm, I'm, It's one of the things I, I said so many times while yeah. working was you have always have the option of responding or reacting. If you respond to something, you take it in, you think about what you're going to do, then you do it. If you react, it's a snap decision. If a glass bottle falls off a bench, react. Yeah. Definitely react. Don't respond because mm. <laughs> by the time you've thought about it. Well, haven't you fallen and smashed on the ground, bottle? Aren't you a naughty little I guess, bottle? <laughs> I guess I'll respond by getting a brush and pen instead yeah. of reacting and grabbing the bottle. Mm. But there are, you know, if someone's being antagonistic towards you instead of reacting and punching them in the mouth or doing something stupid or saying something stupid stopping and thinking like i'm, I'm not always great at seeing things from other people's perspectives because you know i only have one and so does everybody else so mm. it is very difficult to kind of see things from other people's perspectives especially in that kind of scenario but responding by why is he mad at me is he mad at me maybe mm. he's just having a bad fucking day maybe i should cut this dude a break maybe i should ask him that's right. If you just respond to an angry comment, you know, something that's hurtful by being hurtful back, yeah. you've kind of guaranteed the outcome. Yes. Now, it may, may be appropriate to just get into a fight. Sometimes. Sometimes it is. Most of the time you'd prefer to avoid it, but right. sometimes, you know, some, some people do need a good punch to the face. So uh, or, occasionally- or, or an egg or a milkshake <laughs> yeah, or whatever exactly. the fucking kids are throwing at politicians these exactly. days. Exactly. Yeah. Occasionally that will make you, make you feel better as an outcome. Most of the time it'll make you feel worse and actually handling things better makes you feel more proud of how you controlled yourself and that's yeah. a better outcome. So Responding is always, not always, like I said, with the glass bottle falling off the bench, it's not always the right 
thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes you do just need to react. And sometimes you can't help but just react. Good art makes you react instead of respond. Right. You, you react and then you then you respond. Like you provocative you, art. You, you reflect mean? on yeah. Yeah. In generally, like good art will make you react. You, there'll be a reaction to it, not a response. Um, I don't know. There's some art that seems to be based around aesthetic that gives you a pleasure without being provocative. Like it creates some kind of beauty, symmetry yeah. or something, rule of thirds type shit going yeah. on that, yeah, that just sort of resonates without meaning anything. And then there's the stuff that I'm more attracted to, which is stuff that actually has a meaning, you know, or at least an interpretation. You'll bring the meaning one way or another though, right? It goes back to filling in filling in gaps in the story, right? Yeah. Well, that's it. And yeah. that's uh, with, I think with visual art a lot, not a lot of time, there's a lot of gap filling that you have to do. Mm. And I think it's why people find it such a difficult medium to engage with. I mean, people go to the art gallery and see what's been curate, curated, and but they don't necessarily seek out visual art to like, or even realize that they're looking at it. So what do you reckon? You know, you're, you're obviously always been creative. But you're a different type of creative from me, I reckon, or I'm not sure, maybe you're not, because uh, I just learn about this journalism background and stuff. Mm. I always think of myself as a writer. I like to create something, but I think but, it all comes back down to writing. Like, yeah, really. I, that's that's the part. I don't I, look. I hate writing, but I see myself as a writer. I don't see myself as a performer. So when it comes to like, oh, you know, I'll try and get someone else to do it and whatever, and then all of that fails, and you go right. I need to learn how to do X, yeah. Y, Z to make this thing come to life. Yeah this thing that I've written or thought about, yep. um, but it's a reluctance. I mean, I want to do it from the perspective of conquering it, but not because I'm drawn to being on a stage. You seem to really enjoy being on a stage. Yeah. Um, is that something that comes over time for you or is it something? It goes back to primary school, Christmas concert. I was the angel Gabriel because I was fucking foot taller than all the other kids. Right. So they had to sit me in the middle and it meant I was in charge of two props. And I got a sick halo. No one else got a fucking sick halo. I was the main. Well, you're the angel. I was the main one, so I got the halo. Right. Um, it was one of those shitty tin foils, you know, those foil stars at Christmas that are like 3D. So when the three wise men were going to get the star, I had to raise it up and then put it down, lose it, and then you have to put it back up again. When I put it back up, it was like mangled and crushed and all fucked up because I just like dropped it on the ground really quick and it got a laugh. Right. And I went, ooh, like that. I had one more thing to do. When Jesus was born, I just slid him across the stage in a little basket to Mary and Joseph who were at the front. What, like like passing a drink down a bar or something? Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> slide it over to him, put a little bit too much hot sauce on it, yeah. and Jesus went third row. <laughs> Massive laugh. Definitely not a real baby in the basket. No, no, no. Yeah. It was a, like a you know, plastic-headed yeah, fucking yeah. doll things. But yeah, massive laugh. Um, and I went, yeah, I will seek this out as much as I can. So whenever I'd get an audience of people, regardless if it's like I've had too many drinks and there's eight people in the lounge room yeah. or playing Her Majesty's Theatre, like packed Her Majesty's Theatre, doesn't matter. I played shows to three people and pretended like it was a fucking award show performance. Like I was like, they're going to, whoever's here is going to see the best I can do. Doesn't like. So why is that important to you though? Like, so you're expressing your point of view. Is that what's important? Not, you're you're not expressing yourself creatively, yeah. yeah it's, because it's, you don't you're not political when in your comedy or anything like that, right? You're just telling stories no, really. for the telling, most part. Telling stories and like not old-fashioned jokes, but just you know, set mm. up punchline. I don't know. It's it's a it's a really interesting question for me. Like I guess like I, I wouldn't do all that writing if I didn't think there was value in what I was saying. Mm. Um, that's why I stopped doing music for a really long time after Grumpy Old Man because I was just like I got nothing else to fucking 
say like yeah you kind of packed it in there didn't you yeah i just i didn't i never i never closed the door on it i just went mm. oh i'm not motivated to do this anymore mm. um i did it for a really long time i got good at it and i was like ah, enough do something else and that's when i started working on the cartoon that will never come out oh it's been God. a while man animation <laughs> i know it's one fucking dude it's one of my goals as well is uh, an animation project which i'm i mean i've technically started but yeah. I haven't drawn a single thing. I mean, it's yeah. I've just thinking about it every day. But yeah, well, luckily the, the guy I work with, Tim, who, who who's doing all the animating and also voices the other main character named Tim. Mm, very creative. Yeah, yeah. My character's name is Joel. Oh right. Yeah. Oh, I um, wouldn't have expected that. No. Yeah, that's a twist. Yeah, and all of the stuff that happens in that show is completely untrue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It doesn't draw from life. No, at all. Like. Well, yeah. I guess pretty fucking crazy. So that was really fun. We recorded like the first episode, had other people come in and do other extra bits and different ads and stuff. There's one for Lemon Crisp that I'm just like in love with, but it's just taking forever. Um, we were thinking March and it's fucking May. Well, what are you trying to express with this? Because I mean, I've only seen the sneak peeks and stuff that yeah. you've released. So I don't know um, what it's about really. So it started off with um, taking the piss out of ads. So the Doors, Doors, Doors ad, mm. uh, Cons Concrete. And there's a few others who was hanging out in my car during lunch breaks and listening to like sports radio mm. and the shit fucking commercials in between. Yeah. Um, so I heard like one too many Frank Walker fucking commercials right. and pulled my car up out the front of my house and literally recorded that Doors ad like as it is, just yelling into my phone. My neighbor like pulled up and got out of his car and saw me like losing my mind in the front seat of the car. It was joke writing. Mm. I was writing jokes. I was trying to write stuff that would be funny and like not just funny to hear, but see. Mm. So, you know, because they're cartoon characters, they can beat the fuck out of each other. They can do copious amounts of drugs and mm. go on psychedelic journeys where we can actually animate that shit. Yeah. Well, with a very long period of time to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need a team of. It does take a long time. I need time. the Simpsons people. I need a team of Koreans working around the clock. That's right. You definitely do. Yeah. It's just, and it was just really fun. And I found myself, I wrote. 12 episodes it's it was six but we've cut them in half to right. make it more palatable to watch okay um <laughs> well because like, people don't want to invest 20 minutes an episode unless it's like on a fucking streaming service and they're on their yeah. couch length is one of the things that's doing my head in with this one i'm like if i could make five minute episodes that would be yeah. like a, a good thing and then i'm like but i want to tell a story it's not enough time and yeah you know, you're right. You kind of need a 15-minute episode. I don't know. Yeah. So we've got 10s. I think we're going to do like 10-minute episodes. And like right. sometimes we'll just drop a fucking long one because fuck it. Yeah. Um, do whatever you want. It's your show. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I really like that with Louis' last thing. Maybe his last thing. The, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully not. The only two people really copped that fucking you don't have a career, him and Roseanne. Yeah, they both. Well, no, he's back. He's allowed back. He's been doing dodgy stuff, you know, comedy clubs and Yeah, whatever, but that's but- not. that's not. That's not his career back. No. That's, I have to hide in the fucking shadows yeah. and maybe get booed off stage because people are fucking but it's, pieces it's, of shit. His his exodus is self-inflicted. There's no way. He wasn't relying on people's funding. No, that's true. He's He was self-funded, you know, uh, Horace and Pete. Horace and Pete. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, but, no, 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 self-funded. And he does the, um, you know, PayPal deal with yeah. his, his website. And you, I, you, you I get bought it directly from him and Same. all the money went to him. So I, I really like that model. I hope he... If there was a model of something I would like to do, it's what Louis C.K. has done. Yeah. Not necessarily leading with the stand-up or any the order of what he's done, yeah. 
but going direct to an audience and, and well, getting rid of them, all the middlemen and all the that's corporate something control. With, with hip hop, it's been great, especially mm. in this country, is it's direct to consumer, more, more or less. I mean, you have your, your Sonys and your whoever's who, you know, pump CDs out to whoever the fuck buy CDs anymore to boost numbers and make charts and yeah, shit like that. All that sort of garbage that they do. But generally, but generally, um, most small independent labels are still selling, you know, hand to hand or off their own online store, whether it be, a, a, you know, one of those third party kind of websites like Bandcamp. You can sell your merch on Bandcamp as well. They just take a, their cut yeah. um, for, you know, all the work that they've done. Having yeah. a website up. Hey, um, hosting fees, man. Servers, expensive. Sure. sure. <laughs> those companies make lots of money because they bank on musicians being like, okay, sure. Yeah. I don't want to do my own thing. Yeah. I could set this up myself easily probably with a website that is ad nauseum like advertised ad nauseum on a lot of other places um during podcasts the amount of fucking things that i've been advertised in podcasts where i'm like actually not a bad fucking idea or deal yeah you know fleshlights remember when every podcast was fucking <laughs> nah, sponsored I'm, by fleshlight i'm too new to podcasts for the, i would have missed that era i oh, think every fucking podcast they had really to, like it was like a five minute preamble at the start where they because everyone was like people who listen to podcasts are definitely wankers yeah so. they, they live in their basement and yeah. they jerk off you know chronically so i think that's changing now though because um there's there's a whole like new sort of industry forming around podcasts. i think it's one of the widest things you can say what i have a podcast uh, yeah or, or i listen to them or i really enjoy podcasts super white yeah and it's it's it used to be somewhat of like an intellectual semi-brag. Yeah. You know, one of those low-key I don't, I don't listen oh. to the radio or music. I listen to podcasts. Exactly. It's like, it's it's the old, I don't watch movies, I just read the books. I don't even own, yeah. a, I don't even own a television. <laughs> That's right. But um, at the same time, there's a new industry forming around it with yeah. um, Luminary and all these companies vying for a piece of that sweet, sweet free content that they can mine monetization out of. And I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be a mess for a while yeah but one thing it will do is draw attention to podcasts and i think hopefully it won't just be pretentious white people listening it'll be no. uh, all sorts of people oh it's look it's a wealth of knowledge the topics that i've been able to get my head across just by sitting in my fucking car is amazing the comedy journey like actually taking the step and going fuck it i'm gonna do it is i guess is from another podcast and it's really yeah it's um joey diaz the church okay. of what, the church of what's happening now yeah yeah um american comedian yeah. I'm a Cuban American comedian. Savage, absolutely fucking savage. Yeah. You know, um, there's things in his life that parallel my life. Um, not as extreme. Yeah. But behaviors and patterns. Uh, patterns, yeah. yeah. Uh and around he he's told his story about how he went from being, you know, in jail for kidnapping to where he is now with one of the most successful podcasts going around. And a, a, a I've beat, heard of it, I haven't listened a, a to beast it. Beast of a comedian. Yeah. Um it can be hit and miss, mm. but when it's on. Mm. And you haven't, and especially if you haven't heard all of his stories, he, t- he tends to retell his stories sometimes because he'll have a different guest and he'll be telling them something you already know about mm. him. But when he drops a new story, you know, wild 80s, 90s, 70s, New York, mm. amazing. You know, mm. taking microdot acid to fucking Rolling Stones concerts when tickets were $8 and shit like that. And <laughs> $8? Yeah, like just crazy He's Lucky stuff. to get one for $80 even, uh, shit seats. But he... His whole motto was, you know, he did all the shit jobs and had this in the back of his head and um, came out of a bad marriage and went, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Mm. Not that I came out of a bad marriage. I just, me and my wife are separated recently, but it's all good. 
It's, mm. not, it's not bad. It's that not, was a friendly separation. It was a friendly separation. It was a, yeah, it was well, like, yeah, we should probably just put the pin yeah. in this. But yeah, with Joey, he was like, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And if you yeah. keep showing up, eventually they're going to have to fucking pay attention to you. I get that. I understand that. I'm just not ready to start that. Yeah. Um, and it's, not sure and why. It, and it means doing it, going back to the music thing, turning up and doing a lot of fucking free stuff and doing people favors yeah. and like I'm doing a flyer for the gig that I'm playing on next week. I'm not going to get fucking paid, but I'm just trying to like shake the right hands and yeah, say yeah. hello to the right people, but not make friends because <laughs> I don't want friends. I probably should say this out loud, but sometimes I see the other comedians sitting around and I'm just like, Ugh, I can't, I, mm. ugh, why would I want to fucking hang out with you guys? Mm. The last thing I want to do is sit around and talk about our jokes. I love talking about yeah, but, writing jokes. But though. just there's like something. I, yeah, I know what you mean. Like I, there's, there's something about the, it leaves a bad taste in the it's, mouth. It's like rappers who come to rap shows and rap in your ear. I'm like, yeah. mate, like I'm going to see you perform or like if, you, if you're not good <laughs> do enough. Do people do that? Yeah. <laughs> really? I'll just rap at They're you. like, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'll just do it in your ear. Or just, oh, I've done this new song. And I'm like, dude, I can't hear. Like this, someone else rapping, there's music on. Yeah. I've got bad hearing and you're trying to rap in my ear like I give a shit. Like, yeah. You and stand, you just have to tolerate you kind this of stand wind there and on take ear. it. Yeah. It's a pretty intimate thing to do to someone. Face. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. I like the idea of the, you know, the often talk about comics table after the show where everyone's sitting around and hanging shit on each other and tagging up each other's jokes and stuff like that. Sure. But a lot of these guys are young. I don't have time for young dudes that think they're funny. I agree, actually. There's something about younger comedians. It's like they're trying to achieve an edge without the knowledge. Yeah, it's like go live some life and come back. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's like they say the things that they heard the older comedians talk about. So they're, yeah. they're trying to get that same edge and reproduce it, but that's it's, not being authentic. The, is other, it? Week, the other week at uh, Gorilla. They had the, the host was this guy called Geordie who I'm doing a show for next week. Mm. Um, and he has a, like a pretty severe stutter. Mm. Um, but also I trying to watch, I was trying to watch him work and be like, so how much of this is his stutter and how mm. much of it is to set up stutter jokes? Because he did this whole section and it was like kind of wholesome and nice comedy. And then mm. he opens the next bit like going, so the other day I, Ate a hooker's pussy for the first time. <laughs> That's a fake stutter. I can tell you already. Killed me. Absolutely killed me. Yeah. And, and he goes, and it was ten thirty a.m. because that's when you need to eat a hooker's pussy. Is yeah. First thing in the morning when it's fresh. <laughs> Doing his material, but it's fucking. He killed me. I was like, I was like, I like this dude. That's yeah, a great but the joke. pause makes it funnier. The, so, yeah. so that must be a deliberate yeah. stutter. No, like I, uh, he came out and chat. He didn't even know I was a comedian. He didn't seem mm. to perform that night either. He added me on Facebook just because he like had a conversation with me outside and we popped up because cool. and yeah, he offered me a gig. So anybody that wants to fucking offer me gigs out of the blue, sure. Yeah. I'll you don't want there. friends, but the ones that give you gigs. I want colleagues and, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, colleagues and, and peers and yeah, um, yeah. associates even. People yeah. that I don't mind spending a bit of time with, but we're not friends. Yeah. Like, I've got I've got enough friends. So if we were going to, we better sort of start to wrap it up. So what do you think is the relationship between all these things that you do? If you think it's the same drive that's causing all of these creative outputs and obviously work efforts and so on, or do you think that there's, they're, they're just completely separate and you're just trying new things? No, I think, I think it is. It all comes from one place. So yeah, the, the, but the place isn't necessarily when you got to laugh when you were a kid, because I had that experience mm. and I never got on a stage. No, I liked getting the laugh, but I never had the courage to get on the stage. That's a different thing. I think it for me, 
um, like I'm mainly just kind of forming this thought now is it's about adding value to other people's lives with my work being the, the mental health work. It was using natural skills that I have of empathy and being a good listener, being a good communicator, being able to validate people when they need that validation, when they need to be heard and being able to unfortunately um, endure and listen to and see some of the harder and more horrific things in life without it entirely breaking me. It had a crack. I never finished that thought earlier about when people used to come in, I'd be able to spot if they would last a week or two mm-hmm. um, and thought I was fucking indestructible. That's not true. If you don't take care, if you do that kind of work and don't take care of yourself, it will catch up with you. And if you suffer any kind of trauma, right, whether it's secondhand trauma or vi- not, vicarious trauma mm. is a lot of the trauma that I, I experienced was yeah secondhand trauma from mm. hearing and uh, having to deal with yeah stuff like self harm and suicide regularly. Mm. Um, I took an argument with Ambo a little while ago. About, mm. He's like, oh yeah, first responder. I'm like, mate, you're not a fucking first responder. I'm a first responder. <laughs> Yeah, you're I, preventative. I called the fucking ambulance. Yeah, that's I was right. there, mate. <laughs> I was already there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, how many fucking young people have you cut down, mate? And he just went, wow. Shut yeah. the fuck up. How many yes, have you cut yeah. down? Four. Fucking hell. That's, three, three of them lived. That's pretty intense. I wouldn't, uh, I don't think I'd be able to do that and be the same person on the other side of it. No. Um, look, I don't, I don't like it when my daughter ties her fucking teddy bears up that's yeah a, that's she doesn't know she doesn't know what she's doing but no, yeah, i can no. see how that could i mean that's a trigger right it's yeah, yeah it takes you back i see it and go oh okay there we are um but their value so adding value to those people's lives i'm not like being audacious enough to be like come and see me i will add value to your life but mm. the importance of entertainment and that's what that performing life is important because like it's really good to go to a venue and they're playing, like there's a DJ playing or whatever, or there's something on in the background. But when it's like a live band and there's people, like real humans actually fucking making the music mm. on the spot, something magical about that. And it changes the vibe of the room. Same with comedy, that mm. intimacy of a comedy room where everyone's kind of sat together really close, all staring forward at one person. Especially that comedy night we went to. I yeah. was really um, taken aback by how intimate it was. Even yeah. if I decided that I was going to do something, yeah. I would have backed out for sure. Yeah. With, just right there in bean bags yeah. at your feet. <laughs> yeah. It's just, um, yeah, it's a great way to do it. But they've got some tables yeah. now. Have they? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, so your value, I think it's about adding value or making, because I can be very pessimistic and hate people, I hate the world, fuck everything. Mm. But, adding to this experience of life, adding things that are yeah valuable or, or worthwhile. So do you believe in a collective consciousness? I think so, yeah. Because otherwise, well, just, like, this, what's the point in sort of, like you're feeding back into a collective consciousness right. essentially, yeah. right? You don't know who you're reaching necessarily. Often no, not at all, especially yeah. with the music. That was interesting always when, you know, the orders are coming for the CDs and there'd be people I'd know, be my friends and shit. And mm. then there's a, the vast majority of people I've never fucking heard of. I don't know who they are, where they're like, I'd know where they're from because I know their addresses because I have to send them. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> send right. them the CD. But um, seeing like different countries, like, yeah, like, how the fuck did they find my music in Germany? Well, I mean, you and I have that connection as well, where yeah. you probably didn't realize you started this podcast, but you essentially yeah. did. By the same token, the fact that we had that conversation maybe led to you using narrative therapy in your work. Yeah. 
you know, certainly contributed. So we've influenced each other in ways we didn't even, I didn't know about that until today. I mean, you only mentioned the narrative therapy when we went to the comedy night. Yeah. And that connection by itself is a weird serendipitous thing where I don't even know why you invited me, but somehow you must have known that I'd had some kind of ambition to do comedy one day or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those weird things where I always say to people, you know, put out some positive vibes because you don't know who you're affecting. No. If you're putting out negativity all the time, you can't really. Well, that's a part of the narrative there too. You've yeah. got you, what you put out there, you will attract. Yes. So if you think you're a piece of shit and you don't deserve anything, guess what you're going to get? Yeah. Nothing. And, and people I, are going to treat you like a piece of shit. It's not magic. No. You can even show examples of where your negativity leads to negative yeah. outcomes and you can just assume that that's in play all the time. You know, that's the way I look at things and uh, I've been struggling to be positive. I'm a bit like you. I mean, I'm not, you know, like edgy, Mm. but I'm negative and cynical. Yeah. And I've decided that persona is really hard to maintain and have a positive effect on the world at the same time. No, I know what you mean. So this sort of is my attempt to go, okay, I'm going to take off all of the masks. I'm not playing a character. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, it's not even a persona really. It's just, I'm going to try and be me, be authentic, Mm. talk on a microphone and see what comes out and it's um hopefully more positive i'm still kind of cynical i guess but it's it's more positive a certain level of cynicism think, is healthy yeah well i mean you don't want to be a chump either right no. like that's that's the fear it's the fear that drives the cynicism right it's yeah. like i don't want to be a dick i mean i want to make sure if i believe something it's got some chance of being true yeah um so yeah i don't i don't buy into certain things but at the same time that's uh what we're doing here i suppose well, at least give us your social medias and then. Uh, at Campfire Breath uh, on everything. On everything. But uh, I would recommend checking at out Joel.pierce.comedy and uh, at How's Get Fuck Sound on Instagram. <laughs> if you find Campfire Breath, you'll find, you'll the, find rest. the rest. You'll find the rest, yeah. And uh, I would recommend uh, checking out Joel's Instagram because he's a closet photographer. Yeah, I don't know about that, but okay, yeah. I'll take it. Like you, you have paid me some nice compliments on my photography. I really like your photography. You've got an eye for it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Harvey. And, uh, you know, we'll catch up soon. (laughs) 